0: So, so when you look back, what memory of Rupert sticks out?
1: Uh, when I was younger, quite lovable, uh, like a big bouncy dog, but I shouldn't say that, big bouncy person who wanted. Who came to find us, to have fun with us. So he would be... At
0: As with all stories, the best place to start is the beginning. I found the person with the earliest memories of Rupert Murdoch. Her name is real Rivette. How old were you then?
1: Oh, not very old, probably 10, 9 or 10, might have been less.
0: She was the daughter of Rowan Rivett, the first editor that Rupert ever worked with. When Ril was growing up, Rupert was like a big brother to her and her twin, David.
1: Anyhow, he came into our bedroom one day. This is the story that I really remember, this one. David and I were going to bed because we slept in the same room. We were only little. And Rupert came in. And he said, we'll have a pillow fight. And I thought this sounded good fun. I said, OK. So
0: These were Rupert's early days, before he took on the world, becoming the media mogul we know today. But some of the signs of who he'd become, the character traits that define him, were already there.
1: started hitting him with a pillow, and I don't know what he got. He got something, and he was doing the same. David, my brother, he's quite competitive. He started hitting Rupert as hard as he could, was only a little boy. And Rupert really went for him and really bashed into him. And then David eventually started crying. And I said, oh, I thought, oh, hell, why did he do that? Cause this is too, a big man. I couldn't believe it. But anyway, that was Rupert. He had to win and he won the game.
0: <laughs> a competitive streak even against two little kids in a pillow fight.
1: Yes, yeah, very competitive.
0: The Rupert that Rill remembers was boisterous, a daredevil.
1: We thought it was enormous fun. We screaming with laughter.
0: He was always breaking things accidentally.
1: He broke vases. I don't know, is it clumsy or just did in too much of a hurry?
0: He'd take her for joyrides in his massive Chrysler V8 DeSoto, a symbol of the flashiness and speed that would define most of his life.
1: And then he'd put on the brakes and we'd nearly end up in the front seat. No seatbelts or anything. We thought it was funny though. It was stupid. Anyway... He wanted to make things happen, and he wanted to get reactions.
0: Rupert Murdoch has been called the most dangerous man in the world. He's certainly one of the most divisive. He built the world's first global media empire, and has extraordinary influence over governments in the United States, United Kingdom and Australia. He's brought down leaders and helped drive countries to war. At one point, I worked for him as a reporter at The Australian. I saw how his newspapers cultivate and use power. I saw how editors and politicians treated him. Eventually, I decided to write a biography of his successor, his son Lachlan. But for this six part series, it's Rupert Murdoch I'm following. I'll talk to people from all chapters of his life his closest allies and some of his worst enemies. I'll investigate the scandals that almost destroyed him and the wild successes he built from them. I wanna know what drives Rupert Murdoch? What pushed him to become the ruthless, dangerous man that we know today? Is it money? Is it power? Is it his own family? Or is it something else entirely? This story takes Rupert to Britain and the United States Across Asia, but it starts in Adelaide, with a murder. From Schwartz Media and 7am, I'm Paddy Manning, and this is Rupert, The Last Mogul. Episode 1, Two Blasted Young Reds.
1: Can you see that? Rupert and Dad at the airport, that's hilarious. Rupert looks like a little, don't say anything about this dude, but he reminds me of somebody out of the Prohibition days. He looks like a little spiv or something. It's hysterical. He's got his papers stuffed in his pocket. Oh, it's hilarious. They were good friends too.
0: Ril kept a lot of artefacts from her father's time with Rupert. She hoped they would one day be useful to someone like me, a journalist. Towards the end of our conversation, Ril mentioned she had something else that might shed some light on Rupert's early years.
1: What should I do? I've got it in my drawer here. But it's... um, This is Dad's view, obviously, of what he thinks went on.
0: Ril showed me an unpublished manuscript, a novel that Rowan had written about his time working at the Adelaide News. The key narrative in the novel is about how Rowan and Rupert campaigned to save the life of an innocent man facing the death penalty. This is a true story that scandalised Adelaide. It almost bankrupted News Limited, but it put Rupert and Rowan's paper on the map.
1: It was interesting for me to read, but that's Dad sort of writing a little sort of a novel thing, but it's his view or his recollections. So, I mean, if it's his recollections, it must be a lot truth
0: in it. let me read it and what I found was like a 1950s version of Succession. All the names are changed but it's easy to work out who the real characters are. What emerges from Rowan's account of those years is how he saw Rupert and how their relationship fell apart. The novel opens with the Rupert character coming home from England to take over a newspaper left by his father, a media baron who just died exactly as Rupert had done when his father, Sir Keith Murdoch, died suddenly when Rupert was only 21, leaving him the Adelaide News, a second-rate paper in a small conservative town. To really understand Rupert, you have to understand his relationship with his father, Sir Keith, a titan of Australian journalism. In his novel, Rowan called Keith, quote, easily the most outstanding Australian newspaper figure between the two world wars.
1: Dad was working for the Herald and he was a very good friend of Sir Keith Murdoch. And I think Sir Keith thought he was one of the better journalists and he was sort of like his golden haired boy. And then he sent him, when we were six months old, That was David and myself, my twin brother, sent Dad to Fleet Street.
0: When Rupert was sent off to Oxford, Keith asked Rowan to keep an eye on him. Stories were getting back to him about Rupert's alarming socialist tendencies. He even had a bust of linen on his mantelpiece. And most of all, Keith was worried about Rupert's gambling. Well,
1: that was hopeless, because Rupert loved gambling. I remember Mum or Dad telling me that.
0: So did he have a kind of paternal, you know, responsibility or affection for Rupert?
1: Yes, definitely. And they both did.
0: After Keith's death, there was a fierce inheritance battle. Keith had run up substantial debts trying to buy media assets that he could leave to Rupert. When he died, the Herald and Weekly Times, Keith's old company, pounced on those media assets all Rupert was left with was a controlling stake in News Limited, which owned the Adelaide News and a couple of other smaller papers. It was only half the inheritance that Keith had hoped Rupert would get. In his will, Keith had expressed a desire that his son would follow him into a useful career in journalism. So Rupert ended up in Adelaide, working with Rowan Rivett, the editor appointed by Keith.
1: When he came, he was accepted as a young part of the family. He used to love Mum cooking him fresh uh, butterfish, I remember that, and they were beautiful. And Mum used to just whip them up in the fry pan. Rupert loved all that.
0: Rupert was warmly welcomed into the Revett family, but he wasn't so welcome in Adelaide. Without mincing words, Revett described South Australia in the 1950s as a one-man dictatorship.
2: In the peaceful setting of the Adelaide Hills, a quiet cottage nestles at the foot of a short private road, the home of South Australia's Premier,
3: Sir Thomas Playford.
0: Conservative Premier Tom Playford ruled South Australia for 26 years, thanks to an outrageous gerrymander, which meant that the opposition Labor Party couldn't win an election, even with 57% of the popular vote. By 1950, he'd been in office longer than any other
2: state premier in Australia's history. Now, his unbroken term of office stands as a record for the British
0: Commonwealth. The public service and the judiciary were all appointed by Playford, and they were hard line. South Australia was even known as the hanging state for its punitive legal system. And what were your dad's politics? Um, left of centre? I think he always wanted
1: to help people that were down and out a bit, especially after prison camp. I think he was always very suspicious of governments, particularly if they were very right-wing or conservative, particularly the (laughs) South Australian government with their gerrymanders and old Tom Playford. So I think he liked to tilt them, which he was um, was a bit dangerous sometimes, I think,
0: Rupert and Rowan's paper was unashamedly progressive, the most small-l liberal paper in the country. It was anti-establishment, anti-gerrymander, anti-the-white-Australian policy and very pro-Asia. The people of Adelaide didn't like them. Rowan opened his novel observing how the Rupert character attracted attention wherever he went. Rupert didn't seem aware of how he was perceived, or he didn't care, but Rowan noticed. He wrote... They had the reputation of being two blasted young Reds.
1: Anyhow, Dad was like that and he wanted to make a good paper and a much more worldly paper, not just um, all about Adelaide and South Australia. Now, Rupert, of course, was the businessman. He wanted very big circulation, widen the circulation.
0: Working together, Rupert and Rowan got what they wanted. The circulation grew and the paper was increasingly consequential. Rowan reckoned the Adelaide News had the, quote, most loyal staff of any Australian daily.
2: We're actually lucky. The fact that the three of us are still alive after meeting in 1959-1960
4: it's especially amazing in your case, Mark.
2: In your, yes, exactly. You're not 80 <laughs> yet either.
0: <laughs> there are very yeah. few people alive today who worked with Rupert in those years, but three of them agreed to talk to me.
3: We're the, we're the last archive of, of the <coughs> 1960s. <coughs> yeah. The last witnesses, yes.
0: <laughs> Rex Jory, Mark Day and Les Hinton all started out with Rupert as copyboys at the Adelaide News. And you don't get much more loyal than these three.
4: None of us, I thought, imagined quite what we were in at the beginning of, but uh, there it was, and we've spent a good deal of our lives uh, going along the, with Rupert Murdoch's wagon train of ambition and enterprise and everything else.
0: Starting at the bottom rung, Les Hinton would rise all the way to the top of the Murdoch media empire.
4: I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I went to the to the posh paper, the, the Adelaide advertiser, that ter- who turned me down and offered me a job in accounts, I went to the Adelaide News. I met Rowan Revett, one of the great journalists of his generation, uh, who also showed the poor judgment of uh, giving me a job on the spot. And that uh, I started about four days before Jury did. Uh, Jury came on board.
3: Do you want me to go? Rex Jory? I'm uh, an Adelaide citizen. Rex became one
0: of the state's most respected journalists over a lifetime working for Murdoch.
3: I don't think we appreciated how important he was, but we saw quite a bit of him. He would come up to the editorial floor and talk to the racing writers because he was a punter. He would talk to the political writers because he was a political animal. So we saw quite a bit of him with his sleeves rolled up and uh, that was my introduction to Rupert Murdoch.
0: Next is Mark Day, who rose to the senior ranks in Rupert's Australian newspapers and even wrote a short history of The Australian itself.
2: The copy boys used to sit on a wooden bench down the back of the reporter's room, and we'd all be sitting down like little Kelpie dogs waiting to be sold after the sheep. And we had in front of us one of those Victorian upstairs, downstairs bell systems, where if the editor pressed a button, number three would come down on the thing. If number two pressed a button, it was Miss Yelland, who was Rupert's secretary. And if number one pressed a button, it was Rupert. Well, everybody scrambled when one or two would go ding. Not so much when the finance editor called. We, we didn't compete for those. But getting the call to get Mr Murdoch's sandwiches at lunchtime, that was a big deal for the copy boys. The three
0: copy boys learned how to be journalists from Rupert and Rowan. But from reading Rowan's manuscript, I sense frustration from Rowan and Rupert. They feel like they're in the wrong place at the wrong time their two progressive, worldly cosmopolitans marooned in a conservative backwater. Rowan wrote in his manuscript that he'd gladly trade the 120,000 readers he had in the Adelaide News for the 16,000 sophisticated readers of the Canberra Times. But that all changed in 1959, when Rupert and Rowan embarked on their first crusade to free a man accused of a grisly murder. The campaign was enlightened but it also revealed a side of Rupert that Rowan hadn't seen before. A character trait that has come to define Rupert today. A real ruthlessness. That's after the break. The Saturday Papers food editors are some of the country's leading chefs, including Andrew McConnell, Otama Carey, David Moyle, and Karen Martini. Let them guide your cooking when you sign up to Schwartz Media's free weekly newsletter, The Food. It features the latest recipe from The Saturday Paper, along with a selection of seasonal dishes suitable for all cooks. Subscribe today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. One night in Sojourner, a little town on the South Australian coast, a young girl went missing. She was only nine and the entire town started looking for her. They found her body in a cave by the beach. She'd been raped and murdered. The town was in shock and police, desperate for a suspect, arrested a 26-year-old Arenda man who for cultural reasons I'll call Stuart. Stuart was an out-of-town circus worker and they took him to the police station where they extracted a suspiciously lucid confession given Stuart could barely speak English. He was convicted, found guilty, and sentenced to death by hanging. Rowan wrote faithfully about what happened next in his manuscript. One night a Catholic priest came to see Rowan and told him he had deep concerns about the confession. The priest spoke Arenda, and he'd been to see Stuart to read him his last rites and he believed there was no way Stuart had said the words that were attributed to him.
1: Father Dixon, he went up and tried to find out more about the truth of what had actually gone on. And Dad believed what he said, Father Dixon, and he was always out for the underdog, and he felt it was very unfair what had happened to this man because he thought he was innocent and... He couldn't really explain himself to the police and the police didn't care stuff about putting down an Aboriginal man. They they didn't worry about that and the law didn't either. The, the legal system wasn't worried about any of that sort of thing.
0: So your dad was kind of unusual in a way. He was standing out by a defending Stuart.
1: Yes, but he was also having a go at the government. One must never forget this, it was all to do with politics as well. He believed Father Dixon's report on it and then Rupert backed Dad.
0: Rupert and Rowan decided they needed to go to Queensland to track down the circus that Stuart had worked for. Rupert paid for Rowan and a reporter to travel north to find out if Stuart had an alibi. Rowan found one circus worker who said Stuart was nowhere near the beach the day of the murder. He was at the fun fair the whole time. So Rupert and Rowan ran a headline across the front page, Stuart has perfect alibi. Then they ran an editorial calling on the Premier to, quote, delay the hanging. The people of Adelaide woke up to a
2: bombshell. The Stuart case dominated everything in Adelaide in 1960. Rowan Revett ran that
3: campaign with Rupert coming upstairs every day almost to help him write editorials and so on. The more coverage that Rupert and Rowan
0: gave to the case, the more the public sympathy swung behind Stewart. The public pressure forced Premier Playford to act. Begrudgingly, he began a commission of inquiry into how Stewart was charged. Rupert and Rowan thought they'd won. Stewart's death sentence was commuted. They'd stuck it to the Premier. On the other side of the world, a London paper declared that Stewart would be dead today but for a newspaper that did its job. Rupert and Rowan had called into question the state's legal system and the Premier was not happy to have South Australia exposed on the
2: world stage. He set up a commission of inquiry, but it was a sham. The judge who passed the death sentence was on the judicial inquiry inquiring into himself. That was very sus. And during the the hearings of that inquiry, there was a headline came out of it, these commissioners can't do the job. And that was said by the Council for News, Alex Shand at the time, uh, in the courtroom. Anyway, that headline, these commissioners can't do the job, was seen as seditious libel. And News was charged with seditious libel, which I don't think had been used in the Commonwealth for decades.
0: Rowan had saved Stewart's life, but he was now facing jail himself fighting against a legal system that was rigged from the top down by a Premier who could not be voted out of office. The copy boys tell me Rupert threw the full resources of the paper behind the case and covered all the legal fees.
2: Every word was reported in the news in four and three quarter point type and I used to have to take the last editions out by the electric bus to Burnside to Mr Ravette's house so he could read the last editions of what was being said in the court. You, you are lucky. My job
4: then was sitting down in the library, cutting out every single story ever published about the Stewart case, putting them into a scrapbook uh, to be used by the lawyers in their research. It took me days and days and days to do it.
0: Rupert had been heavily involved in the Stewart case and had written some of the headlines, the posters that had got the paper in trouble. But when it came to the trial, Rupert was nowhere to be seen. Even as the Adelaide News was in the fight of its life, Rupert was in Sydney trying to break into the country's toughest, most competitive newspaper market. All Rupert wanted out of Adelaide was a dependable flow of cash. In his book, Rowan described the Rupert character as caught in a quote, near total obsession with the new branch of his kingdom. He had the Rupert character call him from Sydney where he was sitting in a hot tub, leafing through the company's financials. A huge argument was brewing. It came to a head later when Rupert called Rowan to his house in Adelaide, which Rowan describes as a tall white Victorian mansion overlooking the city's parklands. Sitting on the sofa, sipping scotch, Rowan marvelled at the fine heavy drapes, the fine carpet, the cedar and mahogany chosen specifically by Rupert's mother, Lady Elizabeth. Rowan wrote a blow by blow account of the exchange between them. Rupert demanded to know when the case was going to finish. He told Rowan to ease up, criticising the Playford government from now on, and instead focus on raising revenue. The Rowan character fired back, so we're just the milch cow to fatten Sydney. Rupert replied the libel case was going to be damn expensive and they needed every cent they could get. I'm not asking you to retract or unsay anything, the Rupert character continued. We simply lay off a couple of things that make the premier mad. Rowan wrote he was disturbed to see his friend backtracking on everything they'd built. He fell silent and Rupert flew back to Sydney. After the fight, Rowan got depressed. He looked into the mirror and noticed his eyes were sunken, his cheekbones accentuated, he couldn't sleep but he had to return to court every day for two weeks and wait for his fate to be decided.
1: It was tense. Everything was tense. It was horrible.
0: Real remembers what a family went through.
1: I just felt the tension in the house and, and Dad used to get rung up at night by I don't know who to sort of frighten him about what might happen if he kept publishing things.
0: Were you aware that your father could go to jail?
1: Yes, because Mum had told me. Yes.
0: Were you worried about that?
1: Yes, I was, because he'd been in prison camp and I thought it might just tip him over the edge. Yeah.
0: Rowan stood in the courtroom as the foreman read out, not guilty on all charges except one, in which the jury did not return a verdict. Rowan had won, but his friendship with
3: Rupert never recovered. The campaign burnt some part of Rupert Murdoch in that. I think he thought, we've gone too far. I I can't go on in a career of journalism or newspaper publishing being this far to the left, this aggressive. I've got to tone it down.
2: This was the first time you could see the equation that campaigning in this way, bought them close to financial ruin and Rupert had to repair that. He had to repair his relationship with the establishment. Rupert would have done the sums and decided there's only one way out of this and that's goodbye Rowan. In
0: Rowan's manuscript, it started as a normal day until his secretary burst into his office in tears. He wrote that he, quote, looked down at the letter she'd put in his hand, The open envelope had a Sydney postmark and he unfolded the letter. I've read the actual letter that Rupert wrote. It starts out typed. After much long and torturous consideration, I've come to the unhappy conclusion that you have to step down from the editor-in-chief's chair. Then Rupert added a note in his own handwriting. I must say I've never loathed writing any letter more. In Rowan's book, the scene continued. Rowan put the letter down and sat for a long minute, staring at precisely nothing. Then he picked it up and reread it and his mouth curled. Cowardly little bugger, he said out loud.
1: It was very, very, very political, because Rupert was after the money, the circulation. He was the businessman. It's understandable. But Rupert never had the human feelings that Dad did, and it's no wonder that Dad's fingers, and more than his fingers, got burnt. He was playing with fire, and he was playing with Rupert. When you play with Rupert too long, you're going to get chopped anyway. Everybody gets chopped.
0: Do you think it's a ruthless streak in, in Rupert? Oh, definitely. Absolutely,
1: totally ruthless, yes. His father thought he should have done much more than he did at university. I think there was all that behind it. I think there was a lot of things that went way, way back. And uh, that created this extraordinary ruthlessness, yes. And I think he always thought he had to prove himself. And has he proved himself, if that's what you want to prove?
0: Rowan's dismissal shocked the Adelaide News, not just because he was so respected as an editor, but because he was so significant in Rupert's life. He was the man Sir Keith had asked to look after his son. The betrayal was brutal and complete. Rowan never edited another newspaper. In his unpublished manuscript, he got the satisfaction of the last word. The Rowan figure walked off into the sunset, striding across the clifftops with his family. The Rupert character went on to run a media empire on three continents, but in Rowan's take, he'd always be looking over his shoulder, too tense, too scared about losing it all to really enjoy what he built. For me, the lesson of the Adelaide years is that there could only ever be one boss of the Murdoch empire. And ultimately for Rupert, the growth of his business was the most important thing, no matter who stood in the way. Something good came out of the Stewart case. A life was saved. Stewart went on to become a respected elder of the Central Land Council and died in 2014. Real Revent hasn't seen Rupert since 1960. She loved the papers as a kid, but seeing what her dad went through with Rupert, convinced her the newspaper industry wasn't for her. She became a teacher, but she still thinks about the bouncy Rupert Murdoch she knew as a kid and how he became the most powerful media mogul in the world. And if you had the chance to talk to him today, Real, what, what would you say to him?
1: I'd say, does he think it's all been worth it? All this clutching at your power and getting more and more power and more and more wealth and has it made him um, satisfied? Has it been worth it? Yeah, I'd ask
0: him that. Is there is there anything that you wanted to say that we haven't asked?
1: No, just to say that when I was a child, I, I like Rupert very much.
3: As a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up at the slash newsletters.
0: Next episode, Rupert chases his father's dream. He launches a national newspaper, courts the political class and takes a central role in unseating a Prime Minister.
4: After the election, he said to me several times, how many seats do you think we won for Labor? It was boots and all. There was no doubt whatsoever Rupert was determined on a Labor victory and he was quite excited about it.
0: Subscribe to Rupert, The Last Mogul for new episodes every Wednesday. Rupert, The Last Mogul is hosted by me, Paddy Manning. Our supervising producer is Shane Anderson. Mixing, compositions and additional production by Zoltan Fetcho. Our executive producer is Sarah McVie. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. This episode benefited greatly from the assistance and expertise of Walter Marsh, author of Young Rupert. This podcast is a production by 7am and Schwartz Media. Thanks for listening.